You are listening to audio from Genesis Community Church. To find out more, visit us online at genesiscommunity.church. Now, we are in the book of Acts. I'd like for you to turn to Acts chapter 2. We were there last week. We're going to be there again this week. And as you're turning to Acts chapter 2, I just want to ask you this question. Uh, In your head, as you think about the perfect church, I mean, okay, Genesis, of course, is right there at the top, but then... If you could just think, ideal church, what would it look like? What would it, what would you experience day in and day out at that church? How would life be lived in that church? How would the uh, people be? And you might be thinking of just how Sundays go. Don't just think about how Sundays go or the worship service, this gathering here. Think about really what the entire week, an entire month of being engaged in that community might be like. I doubt it's always going to be rosy because people up in your business all the time can get a little annoying, can't it? Yeah. Like, I just would prefer you stay away, but it doesn't seem, you know, right? In in church life, you kind of have community thrust upon you. You, you, you. you have to live there. You have to be together. If you're a member of a church, there are people who are concerned for your souls and we are family together. My kids didn't pick their siblings. They might have wished they could. They might have wished they could have picked their parents, but they couldn't. And so, so we have to then be together and learn how to love and serve and care for one another. So just as you think about it, like the ideal church, I, my guess is you're, ne- you're never going to find it on this side of eternity, the gathering that's just perfect. Uh, but you'll catch glimpses of beautiful things. You'll catch glimpses of it. I was at a church in uh, California. It was, I think, in... Um, Let's say the Bay Area. I don't know where the Bay Area is, right? You drive by the Warriors Arena on your way to it, so Oracle Arena. So I was there doing some stuff. Uh, like it was a collaboration of churches that really focus on campus ministries. And so we were there, and this, the vision of this church is to have an Acts Chapter 2 church on every college campus in North America. That's what they want to do. And, and the way that these people in particular lived was really like nothing I had ever seen before. Like, as you read Acts chapter 2, you go, that seems pretty cool, but really, who's going to do that? And I found a group of people that at least did it in a way that I had never seen. I mean, we're talking about, like, when they would graduate from college, their first vehicle purchase would be a minivan, like a single dude buying a minivan. Why? so that they could drive around people who didn't have vehicles to church events. Like, no joke, they would decide to buy a minivan. So everyone's just rolling around in minivans, you know, 21 years old, like it's nothing. I'm like, that's odd looking. People would, like, family members would buy houses and then rent them out to just tons of students. I was, I remember I spent the night at one of these houses, and at like 7.30 in the morning, students are coming by to do their homework together. Like, first, what college student gets up at 7.30 in the morning? I've never seen that in my life. And they're all just there, and they're invested. We show up, we're tired, jet-lagged, we get in, our whole team's there, and they have like made a spread of food for us, and they just kind of put us around the table, and they talk to us until we were finally just tapped out. We're like, guys, we're done. We were sitting one night before we left, and it's about 10 or 11 o'clock at night, and the door opens. Front door opens, no one even thinks anything of it. Like Everyone who belongs in the house is there. No one thinks anything of it, though, and they just kind of go, oh, and it's the landlord, so to speak, of the house. And what did he come to bring? But a bag of groceries for us for our trip home. Hey, you know, I just heard you were here when I give these to you, snacks and things for your flight back. And, and me, I'm like, you guys are weird. You're just, you're, you're peculiar. 
because, because we worship the same Lord. We read the same scriptures. But there is a way you have actually lived that out that I have not been able to experience in my history of church life. Now, I'm not saying that they're, they would probably not say they're ideal. Like, we are, we are how it works. But like, for example, they're really invested in church planning. And so what are they doing? Like, 70 and 80 people at a time are moving to cities together to start churches. Not one or two, but like they're all going, well, I'm gonna go join this church plant. And so what they do is they begin to look at, at college towns and places with affordable housing, and they, they actually buy property, houses or rent, near one another. Why? They're like, well, because we, we don't know another way of doing church life without being in proximity together. So this idea of being spread out or living two hours away and driving into church makes zero sense to them. Zero sense. And so we spend two or three days there and we get to experience all that they do. And in fact, their membership is in charge of everything. Like if there's an event, they do all the setup, they do all the cooking, they do all the cleaning, they do all the coordination. Like don't even worry about it, we got this. Like not, you don't hire out a thing. Everything is happening through this church body. And it's not a small church body. I mean, it's hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds. And this pastor's like, we're really trying to break it. We're, we're, we hope we could blow it up. Like we're just gonna send people to go plant churches and just see what happens. And maybe this place won't exist any longer. We'll see. And he thinks nothing of it. And so I was around them and I thought, man, this is pretty, this is pretty awesome. Well, you read Acts chapter two, it's our text for the day, and, and, and even that experience is, I don't think what all that God would have for all of God's people and how church life is supposed to go. So often church life is like, what church do you go to means where do you go on Sundays? It actually doesn't often mean where do you invest your life? It just means where do you go on Sundays? What service do you go to? What sermons do you hear? What podcasts do you like? Because then there's all these other things that we do. We have our podcasts, we have our sermons and other pastors that we listen to and books that we read. And so we really just go, well, where do you go on Sundays? That's what we wanna know. Uh, and then whatever you do the rest of the week is inconsequential to what happens on Sundays. So if you wanna be in 14 other churches, Bible studies, like go for it because we're all one body. And I don't think this is what Acts chapter two is showing us. It's showing us a discipline of the way the community works that is different. Now, Jesus gives us the Great Commission, Matthew 28. All authority has been given to me, heaven and earth. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded and I will be with you till the end of the earth. If you go to the what we do on Genesis's website, you will see a statement, make disciples of Jesus Christ, that that is what we make disciples of Jesus Christ. And I think that idea of making disciples that was commissioned to us by Jesus, remember Acts 1.8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses that these two things go together. The Spirit's empowerment allows for us to then make disciples of Jesus Christ. The question might be, how do we do that? In Acts 2, the last paragraph of Acts chapter 2, I believe that we are given the habits as I call it, habits of a disciple-making church. How do they engage? If you've lived in church life for any amount of time, this is probably a familiar passage. If you're unfamiliar with church life, this is right at the tail end of the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit comes, all these people put their faith in Jesus, and then there's this summary statement, and Luke has several of them throughout the book of Acts, where he summarizes what's going on, and that's what we'll have today. So let's just read this passage, Luke Two, or I'm sorry, Acts chapter two, verses 42 through 47. 
and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the hands of the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing them to the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. That summarizes, finishes out, Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, and then says, now this is how the new community lived their life. And so we're going to ask some of those questions about what a disciple-making church does. What does a disciple-making church do? If we are to make disciples of Jesus Christ, well, what does it do? How does it function? How does that, that type of church actually live? Because then what we can do is go, well, how am I living? What am I concerned about? Where do I spend my time? Where do I spend my energies? And we can at least look at these two things and go, am I concerned about the things that my early brothers and sisters were concerned about? Or am I concerned about other things? And when we see those similarities and differences, hopefully it allows for us by the power of the Spirit to be challenged and changed to live more in line with what God might have for his church. The first thing we have to remember, and this actually isn't in 42 through 47, but is apparent when you read all of chapter two, is that a disciple-making church lives in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the first four verses of Acts chapter two. While they're there and they're praying, there's a great commotion, and then these tongues of fire come down, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. That you will not achieve, in a sense, Acts 2, 42 through 47, without first remembering the power that allows for Acts 2, 42 through 47 to happen. And that is the power of the Holy Spirit for us that enables us to live this way. Because you'll never do it on your own. Generosity, caring, kindness, sharing, that is not where we default. Maybe to a degree, we're like, well, I want, it's good to be nice. But to this level of care, we so often do not achieve it. So we have to remember the Spirit came at Pentecost and the church is formed and that this is how you actually achieve Acts 2, 42 through 47 is by the power of the Spirit. In fact, again, if you go to our website, you'll see this phrase, empowered by the Holy Spirit, we will commit to do these things to live together in diverse community, conform to scripture, preach the gospel. In fact, we'll be talking about these throughout the passage as we look to go, what did they do and how would we as a church like to live those out? So empowered by the Spirit. Well, how does the Spirit communicate? How do we know we're being empowered or not? Because that's a hard thing for us to answer. It's really difficult for us to go, well, is this Spirit, like am I being Spirit-empowered nice or am I being fleshly nice? Right? The generosity of Ananias and Sapphira was generous, but it wasn't the right kind of generous. It was giving, but it wasn't the right kind of giving. So, the, so now we go, okay, well, we're supposed to be empowered by the Spirit. Well, how on earth do you know if you're being empowered by the Spirit? How are you sure of those things? And that's where I think the first part of their devotion can show up for us because the Spirit has spoken through the Scriptures, if the Spirit is spoken through the Scriptures, then our ability to conform to the Scriptures will be a helpful way to know are we being empowered or living out our lives by the Spirit. So let's just go to that first part 
of 42. And they devoted, that's the main verb of the whole passage, and they devoted themselves to, and the first one is, the apostles' teaching. They, the early church, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, I am not sure if I ask you today the things that maybe your kids or your friends or your family would say that you are devoted to. We often spend a lot more energy and a lot more devotion in other areas of our life. Like, I am devoted to, and fill in the blank, theirs is devoted to the apostles' teaching. Now, what is the apostles' teaching? Apostles' teaching is both the understanding, it's the understanding of the Old Testament as fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Because remember, this time, the New Testament is not written yet. We don't have these letters. We don't have these things going on. So what are they doing? The apostles are instructing how Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament, how his death and his burial and his resurrection were there. And so God has given the early church, the apostles, and they were instructing and teaching. And and through that, they were being transformed into the likeness of Jesus, devoted to the apostles' teaching the proclamation of the good news of Jesus Christ for the church was the first thing listed that the early church was devoted to. At Genesis, you'll hear these two phrases. Conform to scripture and preach the gospel. Those two words are ones that you will hear when you talk about how we live the way that we live. And this means something. We want it to mean something. And we don't always hit this perfectly, but this means that we don't want to just build the scriptures in our image, which can be so easy and tempting, can't it? We go, well, this says this, but I don't really think it means that. I don't really know if that's what it says. I mean, what it says about marriage, what it says about family, what it says about life, what it says about possessions, what it says about where my heart is. I don't really know if it means all of those things because there's grace and we can really stink it up still and still be, God will still save us. Yeah, that's true. But there are things the scriptures say that perhaps we should live out. And we preach the gospel because we have no other means by which we will be saved. Conform to scripture, preach the gospel. That's what the apostles were doing. They were teaching the scriptures, they were teaching about Jesus, and they were preaching the good news to people. You can read this phrase uh, on our website about preaching the gospel. We're dedicated to the preaching of the gospel because it is the established plan of God through which people hear and believe the truth that leads to salvation and sanctification. The gospel is not only an on-ramp into eternal life, it is the path of eternal life that leads to increasing holiness, joy, peace, and security in Christ. It is the truth we must be reminded of and walk in every day. For this reason, all of our teaching and preaching, all of our singing, all of our discipleship, all of our uh, platform, or all be platforms for preaching the gospel. This includes all of our individual platforms, like home, at work, in our neighborhoods, in any other sphere of life. Is that wherever we are, there isn't like for these parts of our life, scriptures and the gospel are the solution. And for these parts of our life, just, just kind of conventional wisdom is going to win out. No, it's for all of our life, we want to be devoted to the apostles' teaching. For all of our life, we want to conform our hearts and our minds to it. And it is some of the most difficult work to see what the scriptures say and then realize that you yourselves, we ourselves are not always living that out. It is some of the hardest things to go, I know. I mean, here's one for anybody married in the room. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. I mean, give me a day where you have come home with a hundred report card on that one. It doesn't exist. And yet every day, I mean, Paul pulls no punches. He goes, this is my expectation for the church. 
The statement's about forgiveness. Forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. I don't wanna do that because grudges are fun. It's fun to be bothered at stuff. It's fun to think about the ways that we could get back at people. I wanna retaliate. You deserve something. Yeah, of course we all do. So to conform to scripture, to conform to scripture is a moment by moment battle of flesh and spirit. So for us and how we live our lives together, we need to have the scriptures always be on our lips. When we're in our community groups, we need to be discussing the things of God. When we gather in any environment, the scriptures need to inform how we think about it. Because that is how God is telling his church and really his creation the pattern for living. Not just the pattern for living, but the pattern for believing and understanding. How do you think about certain situations? How do you process this? How do you deal with hurts? How do you deal with grievances? How do you deal with frustrations? How do you deal with joy? How do you deal with success? How do you deal with failure? This all comes from the scriptures for us. And so there must be a devotion. In fact, at a church, if there are things that you see us doing that don't conform to scripture, the most gracious thing that you can do is let us know and hold us to it. I don't see the scriptures being lived out here. I don't see the scriptures being reflected here because they should form everything about what we do and how we do it as a church. The second idea, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to the fellowship. To the fellowship. And there's gonna be, that idea of fellowship, I'm gonna use as an umbrella term for several things that are going on here. The fellowship is not just hanging out at a potluck, which is sometimes, you know, do you have your fellowship meal? Do you go have your fellowship? Oh, it's just really good to fellowship. Like we're just fellowshipping together, watching a football game. I think those things are true. That is an element of what fellowship can be amongst believers. But the idea of fellowship in the scriptures goes so much more deeply than that. So much more deeply, that sharing of life that they have, the sharing of possessions. In fact, in verses 44 and 45, you see this. All who believed were together and they had all things in common. Common belief, common purpose. All things. And that fills out in verse 45. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. So it wasn't as if the early church was socialist, which is like, well, we're just gonna put everything into a pot, divide it up by however many people are here. But as there were needs, those who had means would meet the needs. Those who had needs would communicate the needs, which is one of the most embarrassing things that we can do, isn't it? Because we're Westerners and we do not communicate need. But in fact, it was just a statement. And, and, and those who had needs would share their needs and those who had means would then use their means to help those people's needs be met. That's just how it worked. That's how they functioned. This also shows something about the first community, which was that it was diverse. It wasn't like, well, there was the rich church over here, and there was the poor church over here, and there was the Jew church over here. The Gentile church is coming, and that's going to be at Antioch when they're all kind of figuring out life together. We're still predominantly Jewish right now, but that's going to be changing over the next couple of chapters as we see what God begins to do throughout the book of Acts. But they were living together, figuring out how to make life work. And the fact that some had means and some didn't showed that there was no stratification of who was and who wasn't. But our hearts are always gonna go back to that, aren't they? 
our hearts are always going to go back to similar because it's easier to talk to somebody who's experienced what I've experienced. It's easier to talk to somebody who has gone through, you know, buys the stocks or has the retirement plan that I have. It's easier to go to somebody and have a conversation when you have all of this history together. And that's where we're going to want to go. That's where we gravitate. But I love this about the early churches. They had no ability to do that. All they had was, we just put our faith in Jesus like a day ago. That's it. We have nothing else, and now this is the primary identifier. Jesus Christ is who we are and what we do. So that idea that you'll see on our website, live in diverse community, is even reflected right here. But this is some of the hardest work that we do as the church. Because I really don't want to put up with people not like me. That's so often how we operate. Like we understand from the scriptures it's a beautiful thing, but then if you just leave me to myself, like it's just so much easier. In fact, if you talk to missiologists, there's something called the homogenous unit principle. Homogenous unit principle, which is a fun way of saying messages travel faster through people who are all the same. So if you, you know, like, you know, you share the gospel with upper middle class people, they're going to go evangelize their friends, it's going to kind of stay right there. But Jesus didn't do that. That's always the hard part. That's what pushes against it, is that Jesus himself, God, became flesh and dwelt among us. There is not a lot of similarity there. None. Oh yeah, you, I created you. I'm actually holding you together right now. In fact, all of, all, everything that you see and everything that we be, be discovered, every solar system, every star, the way that the earth spins, all of those are happening by my power right now in this moment, and I'm here on earth with you. There is no similarity there, and yet Jesus shows us how he wants us to live. Amongst us that we fight for these things and it is so hard for us to live out together because once you live with people who have needs, which really all of us do, you realize some ugly parts of your heart. You really start to go, well, I, I, I thought I had it together and really kind of the sins of, that exist within any specific class or worldview or perspective, any of those things start to become apparent when you have someone who's not like you in the room. And you realize all the stuff that goes on in your own heart that you have sheltered yourselves from by cloistering up with people who just look like you and talk like you. And you didn't realize all the things that needed to be dealt with. That diversity exists both for God's glory and for our sanctification. To make us more like him. They were sharing life. They were sharing possessions. And this, I honestly, guys, this is the hardest one sometimes for me to do because scriptures were like, check, got that. Love the scriptures. Memorize the scriptures. Know that. We all have 17. Bible is the most common book in North America. Everyone has one. You don't have to believe in it. You don't have to follow it. But it's just at least something that people have in their homes. The most common book. We're saturated with Bible. We listen to podcasts, we listen to sermons, we read books, but this part, somehow it doesn't translate so well for us into, and everyone had everything in common and they were just kind of sharing it all. If there was a need, they met it. So if somebody stood up, and this is the hard part when you start to think, well, what would happen if somebody today stood up in our congregation and said, I have $50,000 in medical bills. We go, well, do you have insurance? I don't. 
We, didn't, we couldn't get insurance. I'm like, well, you were a bad steward, right? We started to like talk, our, talk ourselves out of how we could actually help that person. So if we scratch too much at this, I tell you what, it makes me really nervous because it will expose the fact that we have to allow God to use us to do things that we would have never anticipated being able to do. To live in ways that God had never, or that we had never anticipated that God would have us live. To believe God for things that we never would have anticipated we would need to believe God for, but we don't wanna do that, right? We wanna, be, we wanna go to the put-together church with the put-together people so that we can fake our put-together lives and really enjoy it. But that's not what God calls his people to. He wants them to live and to look differently. That's how that fellowship works itself out. That shows up in that third habit too, the breaking of bread. The breaking of bread could be both just the sharing of meals or the sharing of communion. In fact, very well could just mean both, that they would eat together and they would end that time with communion. And as we read in 1 Corinthians that communion is a time for us to both remember the work of Jesus and deal with any sins that might exist within the community, to confess them and to seek restoration, to seek unity together so that when we are actually remembering Christ's death for us, that we as a church family do it unified. But so often, don't you take that bread and drink that cup frustrated with some, you know, issue going on in your past that you really never wanted to deal with, with some prick in your spirit, some check in your spirit about what you really need to do or the person to whom you need to confess or the conversation that you need to have that you really don't want to have and yet you go ahead and take communion because you feel better that way. And yet God desires and yearns for us a specific kind of unity and fellowship and sharing of life together that leaves no room for that. If we're doing that, we have made the provision ourselves. It is not what God would want for us and not what he expects from us. You see that unity, that fellowship in in verses 47. They're praising God and they're having favor with all the people that when they worship, they worship loudly and joyfully. And one thing I love about you, Genesis folks, is you are singers. You are singers. I don't know how many people are in the room right now, but you're loud, And I like it. I like it because I think there is some type of association between the volume of our singing and the joy that we have. Praising God, being glad that you're saved, being joyful about it, realizing what God has done in this moment, that he has brought us together, that he is calling us together. The sharing of life, And you even see that day by day, they were in the temple courts and they were going house to house because they they couldn't fit 3,000 in every house. Temple courts were big, if you've ever seen them. They're gigantic. You can fit thousands upon thousands upon thousands in the courts of the temple. There's open air. So they're gathering there. And then they just, hey, you wanna come over after this? Like, come over, and then there's just this sharing. Where really for us, like, about 12, 15, an hour from now, the wall goes up, and we're like, it is Torchy's Tacos, see you later. <clears throat> we're done, like, I have lived openly for four hours, and now I'm done. Like, that part of my life is done. I've been as vulnerable as I wanna be. I've dressed in ways I don't usually dress. I've said things I don't usually say. I've sung things I don't usually sing. And now we're going back on with the rest of our lives. 
But that's not what he wants. Day by day, attending the temple courts and meeting in homes, they were sharing things together with glad and generous hearts. And churches, we, we all struggle with how this looks. Some go, oh, well, you know, the perfect, the ideal church size is like 50, so you could know everybody. Well, it's funny because the last church that I went to was like 1,300, and I got this complaint all the time, which was like, we don't really know one another. I thought it was based on size. You know, one of the most common things you guys have shared with me here in this room, I don't really feel like we know one another. Like, it's the same statement. I, I thought it was just because we were a larger church in Baton Rouge, but no, it's like, we still go, I don't feel like we know one another. Well, it's gonna be hard if our lives are stratified, if we don't just kind of go, you know what? Everything I have is yours. Every space, every place. That's a vulnerable place to be. I had a lockbox on my house in Baton Rouge for a while. I learned it from the church in California. I told everyone the code. I said, the lockbox on my house. If anybody ever wants to come over, there's the code. That's how you can get in. I think I said it in sermons, right? And our sermons were podcasted. So if anybody wanted to break into my house, they could have. When we meet, if you remind me, when we meet at our family meeting Wednesday, I'll give you the new keypad code because we have keypads in our new house. It's being renovated, so no one's in it right now, but if you just want to go over, go for it. <clears throat> yeah. Um, but just leave cookies. But the sharing, the sharing of life, this is why, as imperfect as we might be, we talk about community groups. Is it a structure? Yes, it's a structure. A program, if you want to call it that. But, but we're going, we see this, so what can we do? Well, we have brothers and sisters who go, I have houses. And we have others who go, I'll, I'll lead a discussion on the scriptures. I'll care for a smaller subset of the church. So we say, get into groups. That's why we have, one of the reasons that we have people watching after your kids and teaching them from the scriptures is because we know that being together, being around one another is good. And we're gonna spread that family life around. And so you have Matt and Yoshi over there teaching my uh, kindergartner and second grader things of the scriptures because it's like, you know, Uncle Matt and Yoshi, they're just there hanging out. They're there to share life and what they have and what God has taught them and that is to their benefit. That's why our youth gather on Wednesday nights, not because it's perfect and because we're gonna have pizza parties galore, but because being together is a discipline. It's not just something that you magically start doing. You actually have to fight for it. Because everything in your life is gonna take time. Your kids' sports are gonna take time, their school schedule's gonna take time, your work schedule's gonna take time, your downtime's gonna take time, your Netflix is gonna take time. Everything is gonna take time from you. And if you then add all that up and go, okay, now what can we do with the last 45 seconds of the day? We'll pray for somebody. We'll never be able to live this part of what we do out. The fellowship, the breaking of bread, that sharing of life. Sharing of meals, sharing of possessions together is a part of how the church works. It's not just like snacks at community group are just there because we want somebody to spend money on food. They're there because we talk as we're eating, don't we? One of my favorite things to do right now with my own family on Fridays after we pick them up from school is we go to Bahama Bucks. Which is, a, yeah, amen, but it's an expensive snow cone. I mean, golly. Used to them being like 30 cents, you know, it's like $3 for the baby size. 
So we go to Bahama Bucks and we sit at the table there on the corner on Kirkendall and we just talk about our weeks. We would do highs and lows. It's a common way we talk about it. What was a good thing from this week? What was a low thing from this week? We do that almost every day, but then just kind of think about your week and what happened. And they're really, those 30 to 45 minutes are my favorite moments of the week. Why? Because when we're there together, doing something that forces us to slow down, which meals usually do, or snow cones, we talk. So when you're thinking of your community group agenda, you don't cut the food art part out because it takes time. It's the point. It takes time to think about a meal, doesn't it? It takes time to plan it, to prepare it, to be together. It takes time to get the house ready, doesn't it? To be ready for people, to host them. All of that takes time and energy and money. We don't think of the sharing of things, but when you're keeping your house cool for me to sit in it, you're spending money on me. When you're buying a meal, when you're, I went over where you guys had ice cream and cookies and whatever else, HDB chocolate cookies, I think is what, what it was. Like that's all a part of just being able to stand around in the kitchen. And don't some of the best conversations happen there? Stand around and talk about what's going on. You can't program that, but you can at least program the structure and pray that God's spirit is there and that God moves. So they share their property, they meet their needs, they share meals, they take communion, they share their joys, and they have favor with everyone. Siri's talking to me. Yeah, no one say, hey Siri. Oh, shoot. Just me, yeah, knows me, my bad. It's because I need to check my time and write, it's always 7.45 if I'm looking at that clock. We're doing great, we have like 300 hours to go. <laughs> That's right, that's what Brad wants. The last devotion, prayer. Apostles teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, prayer. There are stated prayers throughout the book of Acts where the believers are going, God, you must move. The end of Acts chapter four is one of those where they pray with boldness because they see that Peter just got freed from jail and they pray for what God is gonna do and they speak of the scriptures and they know that God has said something is gonna happen. They commit themselves to prayer both just ways they pray together, spontaneous praying, but it, just, it was the foundational part of how they operated as a church. And again, you'll see that on our website. Pray together. Pray together. We have to pray together. We have to stop and pray for one another. When you feel nudged to pray for somebody as you're having a conversation with them, you don't just say, this is the harder part, you don't just say, I'll pray for you, but try this. What if you just stop and go, can we pray for that right now? Saying I'll pray for you is way safer because you can forget. But stopping and going, can we pray for this right now? I've never had someone say no. Even if it freaked them out, even if it was weird. I did that for my barber one time. I said, hey, you have a new shop. I like to pray that it's just successful and that you can uh, have work here. And he was like, okay. And then we had this awkward moment. Was he, what, he, he didn't, he, I mean, clearly this guy was not a praying type. And 
he didn't know like I was gonna put my hand on his shoulder, but he was trying to do the same. He went out for a handshake. I mean, it was one of those awkward moments that you would have ever seen. Um, and so I, I move my hand. He thinks I'm gonna shake his hand. He, like, are we gonna hold like this or do whatever? I said, no, I said, hey man, you're good. I'm just gonna put my hand on your shoulder uh, and I'll pray for you. I mean, how often do we stop and pray for somebody as they're sharing versus just go, let me write that down? And I'm not saying that maybe you guys are way more disciplined, but very often we forget. In fact, if you're like me, you're of the kind that goes, let's pray for it really quick while you're talking to me so that at least I can say I prayed for you, right? Like, hey, I'm going through this thing, so will you pray for me? I'm like, okay, okay, okay. I don't care what else you're saying. I'm like, I'm praying in this moment, praying, God, God, do this, do this, do this, do this. And then whatever else you said is gone because I need to be sure I checked off, prayed for you. But I just imagine these early brothers and sisters, just, like, you walk in, there's people praying over there, no big deal, they're praying for something going on, there's people praying up here after you know, they gather and they worship and they sing and they hear the scriptures, like they're just praying around. Instead of playing around, look at that, play on words. <laughs> just came to me too. But this is another reason that we would want you to come Wednesday. One of the things that we're gonna do Wednesday at our family meeting is we're gonna write down the names of people in our lives who don't know Jesus and we're gonna pray for them. We're gonna stop and we're gonna pray for them. In the meeting, we're not just gonna write it down and just go now start praying for them. We're gonna stop in the meeting and we're gonna pray for them. And we'll restructure and and bring back in the coming months elder-led prayer as a part of a rhythm of how we operate as a church because it was just gone for the summer. It wasn't gone forever, but but we have to do this. And again, is it a structure? Yes, but we never know what's gonna be prayed for and what's gonna be done. But when we pause to pray, we are declaring that God must do something and that we cannot. And that's what we need to do time and time again that what we are called into is not something that we can do by ourselves, but it takes our obedience and empowerment of the Spirit in all of God's work. So those devotions, devoted to Scripture, devoted to the sharing of life, devoted to prayer, and there's a result. Verse 43, awe came upon every soul. There's awe about what they see unexplainable moments. I love that. Do you love to be part of a church where people go, I don't know what's up at Genesis. You guys seem crazy, but I cannot explain away what I'm seeing. I can't explain it away. That's what we want. But, but if we try to do it ourselves, it will always be able to be explained. Oh yeah, I did that. But to see what only God can do. And that ends in verse 47. There's a response, there's an activity by God on this. Praising God and having favor with all the people, second half, first half of 47, and then the ends here. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So you see verse 42, 43, 44, 45, 46, the first half of 47, these were the things that the early church were devoting themselves to. These are the habits that they were committing themselves to. They cannot convert because that is a work of God. They can't do it. So they're empowered by the Spirit, devoting themselves to certain things. And then you see the end, day by day, the Lord was adding their people who were being saved. Salvation is not a work that we can do. It's only a work that God can do. But a devoted disciple, devoted disciples who are part of a devoted church should be 
sharing their faith with those who don't know him. When they're out in public and they're in the temple courts and they're talking about it and somebody goes, hey, what are you guys talking about? They don't go, well, just ask my pastor. He'll tell you, he's holy. They share it. They share it. When your neighbor goes, okay, every Tuesday night, people cram into your house and we're annoyed by all the cars in the street. What's going on there? Well, let me tell you. We have a group that meets at our house. We meet because we need Jesus. We meet to discuss the scriptures. We meet because we have no other way to live life but like this. We would love for you to come. It won't be perfect, but it'll be holy. It'll be good. There are many ways that a church can grow. In fact, churches, it seems to be in North America, especially in the Bible Belt, grow mainly biologically, like somebody had a baby and now we're up one. Or because someone left the church to attend another. So growth through conversion is the least likely way to often see churches grow. A new church with a new building shows up in town and it's like, well, we wanna go there because their facilities are better. You will find many places in spring with better facilities in Genesis, I promise. That's not why we're here. That's not why we're here. We're here because we have been saved by grace and we want to see other people saved by grace. In fact, if you come here and you wanna join from another church, we're gonna say, why are you leaving your other church? Why are you leaving your other church? Is there anything in your other church that you need to address? Are you just hiding from growing? Are you hiding from being unified with them and now you're just kind of moving your frustrations and shoving them under the rug and then coming over here and acting like everything's fine? Because if you're frustrated there, you will be frustrated here. You've heard Patrick say many times, I agree with it, 100%. It is only a matter of time before we let you down. Only a matter of time, trust me. And so we let God do that work of salvation. You also see on our website, engage in church planting. Because our ultimate goal is to never be so full ourselves and just be happy that our rooms are gigantic and everything's awesome. But really what's a win is those people go, I wanna go start this for someone else. I wanna go see someone else come to know the Lord and they're not gonna come over here, so I'm gonna go over there. It's one of the most painful things when you lose your best people to go start new works. Like Patrick and Jenny going to Thailand. Like, yeah, I'll come behind you. Won't be as awesome, but still, I don't have the beard. (laughs) But then at the same time, one of the best things that you can find in a church is that if it readily gives away its best people to continue the work of God throughout the world, that's all right. That's all right. I want everybody here to go think to themselves, how could God use me to make his name great in all the world? How could God use me? How does God, not even that maybe, how does God want to use me to make his name known to all the world? Now, we've talked about a lot. This is a short passage with a lot of weight. And so I want to ask, or just mention a couple of things as we have talked through this. If you haven't put your faith in Jesus today, that's step one. You can't operate like this without faith in Jesus. But then secondly, I would just encourage you 
to consider, examine where you are and just start making next steps towards greater engagement in church life, as imperfect as it might be. So if you're a once a month or twice a month worship service attender, shoot for once a week. Make that your goal. You won't always hit it. But with that consistency comes conversation, comes people, comes joy, comes singing, comes scripture. And so if you remove that, it's gonna be hard to live this out. If you're not in a group, I would encourage you to join a group. Because you can then, like you say, hey, I'm there, man, what do you want me? I say, join, we have groups that meet, I think, on Sundays, Mondays, and Tuesdays right now. Um, and so if you go, oh, hey, I can meet on Thursdays, just talk about getting a new group started. Another time for people to gather. I'd encourage, again, all of you to come be a part of our meeting on Wednesday. Not because you're gonna be like, wow, that was just the most baller meeting I've ever been a part of. But because being together in the power of the Spirit is what we're going for. Being together in the power of the Spirit. So join up. Because we at Genesis need your heart, your spirit-filled life, your presence, if we ever have a shot of being this type of church. Because we won't be that from the sidelines. But only, only if we pursue with all that we have and give all of ourselves to what we can be devoted to in hope and in prayer and expectation of God doing what only God can do. The work of seeing men, women, and children put their faith in Jesus and have their lives changed because of it. So let's devote ourselves to what we can be devoted and pray and long to see what only God can do through it. Let me pray for that. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for what you have given us in your son, Jesus, and we are grateful for the writing of our brother Luke as we read here at the end of Acts chapter two, and we know, God, that you are good and great and mighty. We praise you for the early church and what we see. We praise you that we have life in Christ. We praise you, God, that as Luke writes this, you have for us a vision, a desire of how you would like this to live out. Lord, may we yield to your spirit in it, be empowered by your spirit so that we could live this out. May Genesis be a place where people look, where we look and we say only God, only God could do this, only God could grow this, only God could be the one who is active within it. We praise you, God, for the salvation we share in Jesus. And might our time of communion be joyful because we share common purpose, common Lord. We pray it in his name, amen.